Well, this booklet is um, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. When freshmen would come into Northland, uh, I had a 7 o'clock because I know some of those sneaky, lazy ones would set their schedule so they could sleep till 9.30 and get just in time for chapel and then have classes afterwards. I said, we're not going to grow lazy bums here. So they'd, they'd get up at 6, get cleaned up, dress, be in the chapel sitting at 7 o'clock. And I said, what we're going to do is start building your biography of your God. When you are here, you're going into ministry. You need to know your God. That's why we allow no debt here. Because you need to learn who is Jehovah Jireh, not Jehovah Visa. And one lady told me one time, I never heard of Jehovah Visa after a morning. I said, he's in your purse. She said, oh, oh, I get it. So... This booklet was their introduction to their education at school. Because if you go on in life and you never get a handle on who your God is, when you hit the wall, you don't know where to turn. And how many have said as we've traveled the world and graduates who have been on mission fields and have lost their children, lost a child in, in early death or some tragic accident. And when I've been on their field, they say, you know, Doc O., when I was a freshman, I kind of resented having to get up that early. But you know what has stayed? My wife and me good through the tragedies. We, the fact that we anchored in God's attributes so we know who He is and we know He is going to do what is best. You know, and we're all lazy and we consider work as a curse. But really, it was the earliest form of worship that God gave to Adam. And, and I told a freshman, I said, some of you are going to never knew the sun came up slowly. Because it's always been way up there when you got up. And I said, that's going to be different. You go at your R8 to morning devos and you say, what's that big orange thing over there? The sun, what? Way over there. And I said, some of you are so lazy, you'd think Emmanuel Labor is the president in Mexico. <laughs> and I said, we're going to learn something different here. But this is step one. And so we look at the first page. Why build a biography of God? And I just put a, like skipping a rock across the pond with just as a hint. Daniel 11 verse 32b. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Here's Daniel speaking. A teenager who was brought into captivity. Never saw his family again. And yet became such a powerful influencer on the world leaders. But he said, they who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. In the midst of all the mess, in the midst of everything that's coming, those who know their God will be strong. First Chronicles 28.9, Solomon becomes king. I don't think David expected Solomon to be the one that would become king. I think he thought one of his warrior sons who were stronger, who knew some struggle and conflict. But God chooses Solomon. And I think David was so burdened. And in chapter 28, as he is preparing, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Is it no wonder when God appeared to Solomon that night and said, Solomon, I will give you anything you ask. Anything you ask, I will give to you. You remember what Solomon chose? Wisdom. He said, I don't know how to lead these people out or how to bring them back in. God, I need wisdom. That's all I ask for. And boy, what a, what a choice. Of all of the things and everything that man would normally ask for, God told Solomon, I'm going to give you them also. Because you have sought wisdom first. And as 
the danger always is as he got older and a little more independent, uh, made some bad choices. I think there was a major wisdom leak when you end up with 700 wives and 300 combines. And uh, that is a big farm by anybody's standard. And uh, Jack Hiles did not start the bus ministry. Solomon did getting his wives to the mall on Friday. But when he started out, his cry was wisdom. Philippians 3.10, Paul's purpose clause after the pedigree is listed. He said, I put all that aside, all of the, all of my education. It's believed that he had probably the equivalent of two earned doctorates sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, highly, highly educated. He said, I put it all aside, that, a henna clause, in order that I might what? Know him. And that's an epinosis. And it's the same word that you did Second Peter chapter 1. And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, uh, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. If these be in you and abound, you will never lack in the knowledge of him. Same word, epi, the same cry that Paul had, that I might know him. Second Peter 3.18. All of the things that he discussed, but grow in grace and in the what? knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Ephesians 1.17. That's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you want a good memory project for the next month, memorize the two <coughs> prayers of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 <coughs> and Ephesians. He's doing what a lot of us feel like doing this time of the morning. So we get up kicking and screaming, but we still get out, don't we? If you want a good memorization challenge, memorize the two prayers of Paul. The one in Ephesians 1 and the one in Ephesians 3. And I asked myself one time long ago, if, if I'm going to mentor people, what really do I want to know and what do I want to build into them? And when I saw how Paul prayed so diligently for the Ephesians who were encircled by the type of world that we live in now, those prayers are so packed. But he said that the Lord, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. Paul said if they could only know God, this world would seem so dull and so cheap to them. They would not be impressed by what this world has and is. In Psalm 9:10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. This is just a tiny little skipping across the pond of the depths of what that whole topic of knowing God uh, really is. So the next page, we're going to deal with the aspect of prayer. What part does knowing God have to do with prayer? What is prayer? How would you define prayer? Somebody just call it out here. Talking to God, yes. How else would we define prayer? A lot of times we think, well, prayer is God forgive me and then we clear the trail for the give me part. But it's more than that. Prayer is first adoration for who God is. In other words, the first part of our prayer time should be adoration for who our God is. And as you grow, that, that part could go for 20 minutes. That can begin in the shower. Singing praises of adoration where no one is offended at your, <laughs> at your solo voice. Then you get to the table and you pray and you, you praise and adore him for who he is. I remember when I was in youth ministry many years ago in Roseville, I announced 
I wanted to have a day of prayer for the teens. And I said, no pop, no pizza, no party, just pray. And we're going to come and pray. You meet at the church at 9 Saturday morning. And we'll go till we're done. And, uh, and so they came and we set the prayer pattern on these three points that I have here. We spent an hour and a half on each segment. On the adoration part, I send them aside and I gave them adoration passages to read for 30 minutes. You go off and get alone somewhere in the church and you look for these reasons to adore God in that passage. Then the next 30 minutes, they would come back and report what they discovered in those passages about what those passages said about God. Then the next 30 minutes, we spent singing songs of adoration and then we prayed those characteristics back to Him. God, I praise You that You are love. I praise You that You are holy. God, I, everything they discovered, we prayed back in praise to Him for the adoration of that one. And, uh, and then we would go to the next phase. But first, adoration. God's character. Who is God to me? Some people say, I, you know, I really don't. I think God is so distant that when I talk to Him, no, He is here. He's omnipresent. And we need to acknowledge He is here. He is with me. And, and He's not way, way off and, and somewhere out there. No, He's here. And boy, when we come to that, so who is God? And you, you pick up all of these early characteristics. And then what God does, we praise Him for what He does. And boy, we can make a list of what God does in giving us breath in the morning and giving us healing when needed and giving us safety. Think we won't know, know till we get to heaven how many times God has sent His angels in protecting us when we could have easily been taken home to glory. I think we're going to be so amazed when we hear that God says, you remember when you were being an idiot? I don't know if, 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 if yeah, which time. But I mean, the point, I really do believe that, that we're going to, we're, we're going to know how he worked in, in those, uh, kind of scenarios. So the next phase, when we look at the works of God, I hope all of you keep a works of God journal. And you young people, start when you're young. Keep a journal of how you've seen God work. He'd answered prayer. He kept me safe. He, uh, he provided so and so and he provided this when I wanted that and so on. Keep a little journal. And you know what? Because you're going to come uh, to a time in life when you realize, you know what? I need to understand he worked before. And you know what? I can trust him again. I remember the years that we were on the road to Life Action Ministries, our Daughter Lisa, I think, was 25 years old, maybe, when we were in Tri-City, Tennessee. And uh, Charlene said, you know, we, because we don't have a dentist and when we travel, we need to find a dentist to, to check her teeth. Because she's getting on a stage where we need to keep uh, touch with that. So we got an appointment with the dentist. And the, the dentist uh, said, you know, your daughter had the same problem I have. I had a horrible lisp. And uh, the skin be, behind your tongue is... I never got mine clipped. The doctor said, you know, that it's pulling the gums away from her bottom teeth. And that we need to do oral surgery on her to correct that. My brother had his done. I never I never had mine done. I just had to learn how to reposition my tongue because when I smoke, I just smoke like this. And, and that's exactly how I smoke. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine your pastor saying, Les, can you come for a prophecy seminar? I said, be glad to. 
But tonight, folks, we're going to speak on, guess what? The mark of the beast. And guess what the mark is, folks? Six, six, six. <laughs> I, I can't preach that. Why couldn't it have been two, two, two or nine, nine, nine? I can't preach six, six, six. But so the, the dentist uh, said, you need to get oral surgery. Made an appointment with an oral surgeon. We went there and uh, the nurse met us, who did the paperwork and said, you know, we had to sign this and sign that. And she said, this needs to be paid before you leave. And I said, okay, no problem. Hope, 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 hope. <laughs> and and uh, we didn't have any insurance on that, that sort of a thing. And so then the, the surgeon came out and spoke to Lisa and said, no, honey, this is going to be simple. And we're going to put you to sleep and we're going to do what we have to do. Uh, and But it, this will be a very simple thing, so you have nothing to be concerned about. Then Charlene and I are talking and said, you know, how are we going to pay for this? I mean, we've, we've got a bill due in about four hours here. And so I was thinking, who could I call? And so we thought, well, we'll see. And you, if you can't offer to do dishes there because that's a, you know, a dentist place. <laughs> and uh, so surgery was done. And then Charlene and I were called into recovery. And Lisa was in bed half awake. And, uh, and she said, there's nothing simple about this. You see, first words are nothing simple about this. And then her second words, how are we going to pay for this? She heard Charlene and I talking, a young child. I said, Lisa, has God ever not met a need when we've had a need? No. I said, well, he's not going to start now. And we're all alone in this recovery room. Then sometime later, the nurse comes in who did the paperwork with, with a clipboard and the thing that I had to sign. And she was explaining what was done and, and the bill. And, and I saw tears coming down. And she looked at me and said, my husband and I are paying for this. She said, he got saved last night in that meeting. And I got right after running from God. He said, this is the least we could do. God knew that in eternity past. <laughs> you know, here we think, oh, no. You know, we start keeping. We prayed. Our kids saw a Ford Club wagon with captain shares in a bed in the back that we could pull our Airstream with. And we were driving with... That truck was as ugly as homemade soap, but it ran great. It had a 454 engine, but it was not something that you would post as how good God is to provide such a beautiful vehicle, but it did the job. And they, we were in Florida before we headed to the West Coast, and they saw this Ford Club wagon. They said, oh, Daddy, would that be nice to have? Because in uh, we started with a, with a Buick LeSabre pulling a 6,500-pound trailer. I put an air, uh, a transmission cooler on it, and, and uh, we pulled every mountain range in the country with that. And, uh, you know, your trailer, you'd hit your trailer brake when you're going down these mountains, or you burn your car brakes also. I'd, I'd tap on that, like uh, we didn't have a jake on that car. So, and, uh, so I said, well, okay, let's put it on a prayer list. Posted, we had a prayer list posted there. Let's pray for a Ford Club wagon with captain's chairs. And through the process, a year and a half later, we are in Redding, California. Our son Stephen at that time was about two or three months old. And it was a cold wind. Every time we'd open a trailer door, that wind would blast in. And a medical doctor in the church told one of the guys, said, that, that child is going to get pneumonia. Uh, so a guy backed his Cadillac up to the trailer and said, you're moving in with us for the week or for the ten days we were there. And... Uh, so we said, well, okay, whatever. And then the Friday morning of that first week, he came and said, there's a new new van for you, don't at the uh, Ford dealers. I said, a what? 
said, we saw what you were driving and there's a pharmacist and a couple doctors or whatever in the church and, and uh, we got together and bought you a new van. And one of our co-workers, same thing. I said, uh, no, no, this is what God wants us to do. And we, we got there. Uh, we had our Reese hitch on our van. Uh, we backed the van up to the trailer, dropped the Airstream down, lifted our stays. And uh, guess what it was? Ford Club Wagon with captain's chairs. We put 199,000 miles on that. We never got in that. Charlene and I never did without saying, God, this is so good. That car we're driving out there, if we lived eight lifetimes, we couldn't afford to buy that. And that's the second car that kids who were in our youth group in the late 60s, early 70s, that's the second car they bought for us. One ten years ago, and this one, two years ago, I said, you know, Pastor Les, you need another car. I said, no, we're okay. The other one had 370000 I said, I'm hoping to get a half a million on this. And we were literally, I thought, I think we can do it, a Toyota Highlander and they said, no, no, we're taking, we're buying you a new, that car sitting out there, exactly what Charlie needs in our travel. You know what? You just say, you know, God works. There are other times when you think, what, is God here? Does he show up for things? Keep a works of God journal. And you would be surprised when you reviewed your last year, your last five years, your last ten years, every single step. Every single thing God provided, how he provided, and you praised him for that. Well, agreement is the second phase, confession. Confession is not telling God something he doesn't know. You don't get on your knees and say, God, I have to tell you something, you're going to be shocked. And you confess it, oh no, when did that happen? No, he knew, you know what he was waiting for? He was waiting for me to agree what he calls sin, I call sin. My most convicting time in my life. It's personal Bible study because I'll come on a passage and the Spirit of God would prompt, that's you. I have two options, agree or argue. Agreeing is the word confession. Arguing is called rebellion. You ask God, Psalm 139, God, you search me. God, you try me. God, you know me. God, you see if there be any wicked way in me. Then the third phase is asking. So when I meet with the teens, we do an hour and a half of adoration. We'd sing songs of adoration. Agreement. We would... uh, I would give passages, Psalm 51, Psalm 103, Psalm 32, etc. Passages of confession. And I'd send the teens out and find everything you can see in those passages regarding uh, conviction and confession. And we confess what we are and then we confess what we need. And so they would come back and report on their passages. Then we would sing songs of confession. Just as I am, Psalm 139 would sing that, search me, O God, and so on. And so then, then we go to the next one is asking. And in two segments, intercession, that's where you keep your prayer list. And I hope all of you have a prayer list. You young people can start prayer list. Your pa- parents, pastoral staff, friends, you hear announcement in church, so-and-so's ill. So you can keep that right on your, keep these little booklets and put your prayer request uh, right there. Because you learn to intercede for others. And then there's petition. And that's the crying out type, praying on behalf of yourself. And, and sometimes you come to a point where you say, God, all I can do is what Romans 8 says, groan. Ever get so heavy in heart, all you can do is go to your knees and say, oh God, oh Lord. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing? Taking that groan, translating that into a perfect request before the Father. 
The Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are times we come to in life where we say, God, I, I, I don't know where. I can't. I can't go on. And you learn the crying out praying. And uh, I think most Christians who really want to grow spend about two hours a day. Every 24 hours, I think they spend about two hours in prayer. Because you're driving to a job and you're saying, God, I need wisdom for this. You're, you're communing with God. And probably in 24 hours, when you look at all of that kind of praying, it's probably about two hours. Young people have a test coming up and say, Lord, help me with this. Give me wisdom and so on. But the petition praying, the crying out praying, where my issue with prayer is not with intercession. It's the closet praying where I feel convicted in the weakness in my prayer life. It's that closet crying out praying. And a lot of times that only comes when we are in desperate straits and we are driven to God. And God and His love and God and His mercy loves us so much that He puts us in a circumstance where we learn He is all in all. He is all that I need. And, and so when you put that, then we would do 30 minutes of reading on that 30 minutes of coming back, what did you discover? And then 30 minutes of singing. And then we would pray these uh, intercessory prayers on behalf of the list that we made. And uh, this is the pattern of all the Old Testament prayers. That's the pattern of what we call the Lord's Prayer. That's really a pattern prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, adoration. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then we go into forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And then you have the aspect of, of uh, agreement. Here I am. Here you are, a holy God. Here I am, a sinner. And God, I present my petition. You give us this day our daily bread. And so you make the, the uh, pattern. That's the pattern. Now, Nehemiah prayed. God showed him the condition of the nation. First thing Nehemiah does. He goes to God. And what does he do? Study his prayers. The great God, the adoration of the great God he has. Then he goes into confession. God, we don't deserve anything. And then he goes into asking. Lord, would you show yourself mighty? Ezra stopped at the river of Ahava. When, and when they were coming back, I called the Zen Construction Company. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Zerubbabel was a temple builder. Ezra was a people builder. Nehemiah was a wall builder. But every one of them set the pattern of what prayer is. Lift up the nature and character of God. Confess the personal need and national need. And then start praying the request. Said so we stopped at the river of Ahaba and declared a fast. And what was that adoration of him and then admission of our mess. And then asking for God to give deliverance. If you want a message on the patriot's prayer for his nation. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel starts out his prayer adoring the God. He serves, confessing the needs of their sin and then asking. And he says, God, we deserve nothing, but we appeal to your mercy. And then we see those pattern prayers. No, Brother Saxon, why don't you share some of the things that you what, what are you trying to emphasize with your students in the study that you're doing now on the, the characteristics of God? Well, we... We launch it with Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, where we say that what people 
glory in, uh, in their riches or in their power or in their knowledge, their wisdom, is what the world wants to spend their time thinking about. But let him the glory of glory in this, that he understands the glory. Then God says, what you want to understand and know about me uh, is what I believed about myself, his essential attributes. And then it draws on Exodus 34, 6, where Yahweh declares his name to Moses as the God of loving kindness and justice and mercy. And these characteristics are the way God is communicating himself to us. And that's, that's really the only, to say that's the one thing we should boast about is to suggest it should be the center of our lives and the only thing that, that is our all-consuming passion, our object of ultimate concern, yeah. so that God becomes the center. Whereas, uh, left to ourselves, it'll be our thinking or our riches or our power. And so we're, we're trying to shift our... Yeah, on the next page I had that Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 on there because that's, that's the very thing we are trying to communicate. Thus saith the Lord God, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory as glory in he that understandeth and knoweth me. I am the Lord. And I, but anyway, I, I had that in there before we start. Now, let's look at this. But any other thing that comes to mind, just shout it out. Because when we look at this now, how do we... You'll see the little triangle there. And what is that triangle for? You'll see better illustrated on the next page when you get to that. Uh, we don't have much time left. But uh, let's... Uh, someone read the first two verses of Psalm 62. Somebody read, one of you, one of you uh, uh, read Psalm 62, read loudly so we can hear it, or even one of you men if you find it first. Truly my soul silently waits for God, from Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, He is my defense, I shall not be greatly moved. Okay, what, what thing did we see about God in that? In those two verses. Now, in those little triangles, you write, what's the first thing we see about him? He is my, my rock. Well, in, in uh, my King James, you read different, but it, they're all in that content. But he is my salvation. He is my rock. He is my defense. So you put in those little triangles, every time you find God described in some way, in your personal reading, and we, I, I do this, Keep the personal reading, and when you're reading through and you see God described, put it down, because that's a first part of your prayer. God, I adore you for that attribute. You are a rock. God, you are my defense. You are my salvation. I praise you, God, for that in, uh, in that in that aspect. If you want a good passage, we're not turning to it, but Isaiah 40, if you want to see, God says, the nations are a drop in the bucket to me. Who is like me, God says. Who is like me? And you read Isaiah 40. And then it comes, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And I put some other references off to the side that you can do in a practice that you guys can do looking up these verses. Every time you find God described, you, uh, you put that in there. Now, you turn over to the next page, you'll see a better picture of how we use the triangle. And this can become a life pattern for you. 
You can make more of these or however you want to record these attributes of God when you start out and say, oh, I, I just read that. It is, it is a tremendous thing. Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My soul longeth for Thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. See, what, what brings the praise of the realization of His attributes? Praise just flows out of a person who realizes his attributes. What a great mighty God we serve. Didn't we sing that the other night? What a great mighty God we serve. I love that last song we sang uh, last night, I think, on... Uh, I, forget, I forget the whole concept, of, but it's magnifying who he is and uh, lifting him up. And so as we look at this aspect of life, don't let your devotion or reading seem, well, I'm going to do this and... and like one business guy had gotten saved and, and uh, he, he was a businessman and he went to the pastor and said, Pastor, we've had a successful business, but we're in trouble right now with the economy. And, and he said, well, what do you suggest? And pastor said, well, I always go to the Word. And he says, well, where do I read? He said, well, let me, I don't do it often. There are times I just held my Bible up and just let it fall open. And I take whatever God has for me is... Uh, the answer. He came back Wednesday and I said, Pastor, I did that. And I got the answer the first time I did it. Pastor said, what did it say? He said, chapter 13. And uh, so, so I guess that was a quick answer, wasn't it? But I, the Word has the answer. The Word is the, is the, is the point here. So as we look at this, uh, these triangles, and, and I put some other suggestions. The, the Scripture is just packed. Hundreds Hundreds of descriptions of our God. And it's uh, so filled. But this is the idea. And I wanted to give you the booklet. So you can start to make this a life pattern. And, and keep growing in the knowledge of Him. And that is, uh, that is so crucial. Any comments or questions? Or Pastor, anything you want to say? Or Doc, you want to, do you have any, any other things to share on this? I know this is quick. It's, it could be much more deep. We, we used to take a few days of the first week of the semester laboring through this so the students would get an understanding. When you're here, you need to be growing in your knowledge of who your God is. And you know, some kind of realized they didn't know God. They knew about Him, but they realized, I don't know Him in that way. And um, then they come to accept Christ as first little Thing, he is my savior. You come to realize that as well. Any additional, any questions, or perhaps from your devotional time, what are some things that you've done that said this is this has really been a blessing to me? Don't be afraid to shout out because I know you've you've had some special times. And yes, how many years have you been doing this? And then, do you have any idea how many characteristics or names of God are in your collection? I'd be hundreds. But, no, I've only been doing this about 98 years. <laughs> uh, it goes back to my youth ministry years when I was youth pastor, back to late 60s, early 70s, when I was trying to get our youth group to begin this as a life pattern in their life. And then so, but every time we try to read through the scripture every year and, and always try to keep every time there's a notation of God being described, 
when Charlene and I, are, we read together as much as we can when we're together. We read those chapters together on the read-through. And that's why I say your devotional system is not your security, your Savior is. Because there are times when your system gets blown to bits. If somebody looked at my system when we traveled, they'd say, he is backslidden as a rattlesnake. It's not the system. It's to focus on the Savior. And so, uh, I said, so don't let... You say, well, I'm going to... Okay, I'll check that off. I read, check that off. I prayed, check... No, if you start a checklist, Christian life, you are going to get screwed up big time. Because it's not checklist. It's Him. And the more we get to know Him, the more we get to love Him, and the more we want to obey Him... And then when we see a portion of him described, I love reading through like the book of Daniel and the den of lions and, and uh, drop Daniel in. The only one who lost sleep that night was the king, not Daniel. He said, oh no, I love this guy. And the lions didn't want him because all they would have gotten was backbone. And, uh, you know, so then when these lardos were dropped in there, they were gone before they hit the bottom. And... Uh, and I guarantee you there were some lardos they dropped in there. The lions couldn't wait for that. I love reading the story of Joseph. I know what's coming and I still love getting to it. And uh, I love those uh, those passages that are, uh, that are so rich. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar, remember what Nebuchadnezzar asked? When they, they didn't, the kids didn't bow. And, and they said, be it known unto you, O king, we are not dishonoring. But the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, Nebuchadnezzar asks, who is that God that can deliver? Bad question. Because <laughs> here, first of all, God puts Nebuchadnezzar to the mill. He comes to a form of repentance. Then as a narcissist, he went right back to what he was. This time God turned him into a hippie, at least the first hippie I know of on grass. And, uh, and next thing you know, he comes off. All of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does everything according to his will. None can stay his hand and say, what doest thou? I think at that point, there was a genuine turning point, And I believe a genuine conversion. And when we get to heaven, in fact, Dr. Saxon and I were talking about it. It'll be so much fun to talk to him. <laughs> you know, what were you thinking when you saw those kids in there and they weren't burned and your guys that threw them in were burned? And interesting in all the endless time that we'll have to talk to all the people that that, you know, David, what do you think when that stone went right between his blinkers? Bingo! <laughs> Down he went. And, uh, so, great times ahead for believers. But that's, uh, that's a, a great thing. Well, time is gone, but thank you for this. I hope, I hope you'll build on this. Like you say, it becomes a life pattern. Think, I'm glad you asked that because I, I, I know I had our youth group doing this way back in the... 70, early 70s, and they were doing this. And I know our students who we've, we've met across the world said that has been a mainstay when they've hit the wall.